Welcome to You Want to Be on Top, a podcast dedicated to all things America's next top model, where your hosts, Charlie Jensen and I, Giovanni and Naya, we live all our favorite and cringy moments from the iconic show spanning 24 cycles. We are going straight to the catwalk and walking like it's for sale and the rent is due tonight. Join us as we cry, smize, and close the gap to claim the title of America's next top model. So we leave you with this. Do you want to be on top? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about Cycle One, Episode One, the episode that started us all on this magical journey toward becoming America's Next Top Model. So, Giovanni, why don't you tell us a little bit about how it started? Look, it started in 2003. Tyra graced my TV screen. I had no idea who she was. I just knew she was a model. She started this show because she wanted to show people what it was like to be in the fashion industry. She wanted to give models a chance. She wanted to give back. She's very charitable. Obviously, the budget for these kinds of shows are very small at first. So we have the first season glow. We get the little like filter. Some people are like shiny. Yeah, like it's crazy how low budget this was. The sets are very Holly Hobby. (laughs) It's like we found this in the alley and we dusted it off. And now it's a podium that Tyra will speak at. One of the first things we get to see is Casting Week happening in LA. Tyra explains all the great prizes for the season, which include a contract with Revlon Cosmetics, a Dream, uh, a spread in Marie Claire magazine, and a modeling contract with Wilhelmina Models, which is, of course, one of the top agencies. Uh, We see a lot of the production folks in this episode, which is interesting because they kind of vanish in later seasons. But we see the casting director. We see... Uh, some other casting folks who are who are interviewing the models, but all all twenty of the semifinalists are drawn to Los Angeles, where they're having interviews with Tyra and these other folks, and talking about why they want to be America's Next Top Model. In some cases, and in other cases, not even mentioning the competition at all, but just talking about uh, why they think they are the most beautiful woman on this earth. Yeah, and I don't think any of them say that, and. Production was so hands-on. It literally felt like they were like, this is going to be good TV. I want to make sure that the best people are on TV. Yeah, agree. Um, So during casting, Tyra announces that they want 10 girls. Somehow they could not decide on 10 girls and they ended up with eight. And then they're flown to New York, the fashion capital of the U.S. And when they get to their little penthouse, they realize that there's more beds than there are girls. And Tyra introduces us to Giselle and Tessa who she found on this nationwide <laughs> on this nationwide scouting, Miss Tessa. Yeah, uh, so they, they come into the house and they're just like, we're here, we're models, get used to it. And the, the personalities of the contestants start coming out. So, uh, you know, Giselle comes in with a bang. She's super friendly, big personality, kind of gets to know everyone's business almost immediately, which I am deeply impressed She's by. like your girlfriend you want to talk to about, it, about everything. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, unfortunately, she's also the girlfriend that goes around and tells everyone else what you just told her. Well, that's the best kind of girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also get to meet Elise, who uh, talks a lot about how she was either going to do America's Next Top Model or go to medical school. She decided that she's going to try the modeling thing while she's young. She's also resolutely atheist. We love. We love. Yep, she uh, stands firm in her belief. We'll see why that's an issue soon. And then we also have Ebony, who is the first out LGBTQ plus contestant on the show. So props to Tyra for 
you know, being inclusive in that regard right off the bat. Yeah, and being a person of color too. Uh, and bald, which is amazing as well. Yes. Yes, but. <laughs> <laughs> so then we're introduced to their personal trainer, Mr. John Silverman. Right off the bat, he's like, I'm going to whip you all into shape because some of them probably weren't in the best shapes of their life. A lot of them were smokers, yeah. which we find out is a recurring theme in a lot of the, the series. It is very wild how casually the show treats people smoking. We don't even really see that on television that much anymore, unless it's like a vintage TV show, but they're just like out there having their cigarettes yeah. all the time. Or with someone having like a mental breakdown, they're, they're drinking like a cup of whiskey and they're smoking. <laughs> but he takes these girls and he does a little measurement session with them in front of all the other girls. With no surprise, our Queen Elise is the thinnest, coming in at 114 which is obviously probably body goals for a lot of models back in the day. And she's also like one of the tallest ones coming in like yeah. 5'11". So thin and an Amazon, I have to stand. <laughs> um, and then we have Miss Robin from Tennessee coming in at the heaviest, which is shocking at 165 because I wish I was 165. And she's considered plus size. So the girls get another visitor at their apartment and that is a team of brazilian waxers uh who are who are there to clean up clean up uh, their, their <laughs> <laughs> and then we're treated to a montage of women screaming as their pubic hair is ripped off their body in various positions yeah some more ways. than others i think giselle took it a little too far and was like screaming bloody murder Giselle is the Steve Carell of this episode. Yes. Granted, I don't know what that pain feels like, but I can only imagine it's uh, regions are different from me compared to them. <laughs> I'll speak to that as someone who's experienced an intimate waxing. Uh, it, is a, it is quite a shock. It is quite a shock. There is a moment of pain, but I don't know. I don't, I, well, and everyone's threshold is different, but I just don't know if it's, it's if it warrants shrieking yeah but i'm also wondering like did they trim before they waxed or was it like did you have like a full bush and then they wax the full bush right well that is a lot that is we'll lot. never know my guess is this was really more of a bikini wax uh which we we soon find out is setting them up for the photo shoot so the, it's really i think more of like uh like a light dusting <laughs> more than a, a deep clean <laughs> oh my god well after that little deep clean or dusting, they get their first notice of their photo shoot, which obviously becomes later known to be known as Tyra Mail. And it is a typed up note folded in some origami red envelope, no branding on it. So it could have, I would have thrown it away had I not known what it was. And they find out that they're gonna have their, their first photo shoot modeling in JLo swimwear which I think after this is never heard of ever again. So it's interesting that they throw a celebrity brand and then mm -hmm. it, it dies there. Yeah. So most of the girl, well, maybe, yeah, most of the girls arrive on time for this photo shoot. They're downstairs. They meet the van. They get taken in. But um, four of the girls seems like are taking their time getting ready, totally blow past the call time. And when they go down to the lobby, they're told that the ride has left. So fortunately, the Tyra mail did include the address of the photo shoot, and so the girls take a taxi there, 
Robin slamming her jacket in the car door en route. And so they they arrive there a little bit every, after everyone else, and they have to wait to go into hair and makeup until everyone else gets done first. Yes. Why are you putting on a full beat mug when you're going to a photo shoot? Great question. What would possess you to be like, let me put on my mascara and my lip liner before I go and get my hair and makeup done, probably. Right. Mm-hmm. It was a learning moment for them. Yes. Because Miss Tyra comes out and is like, time is money in a sweet little Tyra way that she does. Well, after they arrive and get their hair and makeup done, we meet our first photographer to ever shoot on Top Model. And it happens to be a photography duo, Douglas Bizarro and Elizabeth Moss, not to be confused with the Scientologist Elizabeth Moss, on this rooftop in New York. And they depart some industry wisdom and let them know that swimsuits swimsuits are shot in the dead of winter and so they're going to be modeling these swimsuits on the rooftop in negative 30 degrees with the wind chill factor of like maybe 70 so it's like it's like negative 45 really probably and some of these girls like at least who have 0.00001% body fat are going to get hypothermia for sure. But before they get into the shoot, Tyra leaves them with a little bit of advice, iconic advice that we will come to know and love, although she doesn't really have the vocabulary that she will soon invent for this advice. So let's take a listen to what she tells the girls. The one most common mistake that new models make is the sexier I move, the better the picture is going to be. It is all about this first. It's all about the face. You have to always be thinking about something. Like a dead eye is just kind of like... And then a, an eye that just has some fire is like... As the photo shoot progresses, we see that some girls are rise up to the occasion, produce some decent photos, most notably Nicole and Ebony. Mm-hmm. And then we see the, the weakest links in Shannon and Tessa. And Tessa is physically posed in all her photos. I think the photographer touches her like at least 45 times. Yeah, in fact, they say she was taught how to model wrong, which is probably one of the worst criticisms I've ever heard on the show. Puts her in this like Kama Sutra position, like let's capture this really quick. And they don't like the photos. And I'm like, I, it's just bad photography at this point. Because if you're posing the girl and it looks that bad, Mm -hmm. something's going on. But she probably also went to one of those like casting calls in like the mall, wherever she's from. And it's like, oh my God, we're going to teach you how to model and act in the same room. And then those little catalog poses that everyone hates. Yeah. So the next day we are thrust right into the first elimination. And what we are, what we'll come to know is called panel. And so that would be the panel of judges. Tyra introduces Janice Dickinson, icon, world's first supermodel, which I'm pretty sure Janice Dickinson insists Tyra say every time she introduces her for every episode from this point forward. We also get Bo Quillian, the editor-in-chief of Marie Claire magazine, model and fashion designer Kamora Lee Simmons, and the guest judge for this episode was the photographer Douglas Bizarro. All of these people are very uncomfortably seated at what appears to be the kids' table of a Thanksgiving dinner. Yes, but what a stacked panel of judges. I mean, I didn't know who Janice was. I'm thankful that she was on this show because she changed my life forever because she's just so 
kind of like 70s heroine like she just <laughs> looks the part of a model she's tall and skinny and has thick fake big boobs she has not one fuck left to give in this world no she doesn't she she snorted it all back in the 80s yeah <laughs> um Bo Quillian probably was just on there as a filler judge mm-hmm. because he was the editor-in-chief of Marie Claire um probably was just like I don't want an ugly duckling on my cover or in my magazine um Kimora probably only because she was friends with Tyra and was the face of Chanel at 13 like Tyra claims yeah and then Douglas is just there for I guess commentary to talk about how the girls performed at the shoot yeah so stacked stacked panel but questionable panel too yeah it's not the panel that we will know to know as the iconic future panel but it's you know it's a start I love it we noticed that's so different about this particular cycle is the judging is done one-on-one. So it's not in front of the other girls like we're used to in other cycles. Um, and right from the get-go, we hear the words age, weight, too sexy, and personality thrown everywhere. Uh, Douglas even states that Shannon has leather-like skin from all the tanning that she has done. and She's only 18. Uh, so that's hard to take in as maybe a young girl to be told that your skin is leather-like. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon, AKA Leatherface. Leatherface. <laughs> uh, and then we come up to Miss Robin's turn and Janice iconically says, are we looking at the large size category? And they have to reaffirm her that it is plus size. Yeah, Janice does not even know what this form of modeling is called. It's, she's never felt that, she's never known it. She's taken aback. She's like shocked that someone this big (laughs) is on the show, probably. And I think she says for the first time, and certainly not the last, America's top model, next top model will not be a large size model. (laughs) And we find out to be true eventually. It it is mostly true, unfortunately. (laughs) The judges love Nicole and Ebony's photo, I guess because Nicole's boobs fit in the swimsuit very nicely, I guess. And her body is looks incredible i'll say ebony also has an amazing body made for swimwear mm-hmm. i guess that's why they love her photo but looking back they both have really strong eye contact with the camera which is ultimately what tyra wanted right and they go in on shannon and tessa sadly just referring to shreds well you know tessa had a coming uh but we'll get to that we'll get to that so uh <clears throat> the judges deliberate they review the film and the best shots. And they decide that Ebony had the best photo of the week, even though Nicole seemed to get a lot more praise from the panel in the discussion. And so Nicole's called third. What's interesting about this, this part of the panel is that in future seasons, we know girls will cross the room to separate themselves from the not yet eliminated girls. But here they go right back into the group. So there's just like a, because the room is so small. It's like, there's nowhere for them to go except back to where they were while holding their photo. Uh, and so there's just a mob of contestants on one side of the room. Also like, hey, I have my photo and you don't look at me. I'm like right next to you. Like yeah. I'd be so terrified. I'm like, I'm going to go home today. Yeah. It's like celebrating right next to somebody who just. <laughs> uh, so ultimately Tessa is the one who sent home in part because they had to pose her like a literal doll at the photo shoot. And uh, we get this very somber John Mayer Simon and Garfunkel sounding acoustic music to send her off while the other contestants cry uh, over this 
personally have just met. More notably, Adrian, because they bonded over their love of smoking. Smoking, right. Great point, great point. And I guess Tessa becomes the first first girl to ever go home. She is the first, first one to go home. Yes, yes. Uh, I love that for her. I mean, she'll never be forgotten, except that I cannot, <laughs> I did not remember who she was when this episode started. Well, let's talk a little bit about the iconic contributions to pop culture that we encounter in this episode. So many of them. Most notably, I think, is Ebony. She gives us the gift that keeps on giving when Tara's narrowing down the 20 to the 8, and she calls Ebony. Ebony gives us that initial shock, like, oh my god, I'm gonna be like Miss USA, and then gets together and then walks and separates herself from the crowd and takes her, her rightful place in line. She doesn't just walk, she struts. She, like, stomps over to the group and then she actually literally does cry <laughs> you don't always see in the gift the gift is mostly just the like initial fake breakdown then the sudden composure and the strut yes uh we also get this interesting conversation where uh kind of maybe out of the blue robin turns to elise robin notably christian uh staying in the same bedroom with kissy and um Shannon, all Christians, all reading their Bibles. Uh, it's the show does make a big show of their of their faith. So Robin just turns to Elise and says, "You know, what do you believe in?" Very sweetly and innocently, as if a producer hasn't whispered in her ear that she should do this in order to start some drama at dinner. And um, you know, Elise explains that she's an atheist, and you can just see Robin is both offended and confused and also like very saddened to hear this that she's like looking into the eyes of someone who will spend eternity in hell she's like trying to save her at this dinner and then he just gives up yeah but also like don't ask me what i believe in i don't even know you that well it's it's deeply personal right um even though robin and shannon seem to put it most on display i think kizzy is a little bit it's, it's just more incorporated into her into her full personality that this is a component of her um let's take a listen to robin and elise talking this out i was um dragged out of the atheism closet i don't believe in god and it came up today at dinner it's not you believe in anything um elise like i'm an atheist i couldn't believe the jaws around the table that were dropping an atheist i didn't when I found out Elise was an atheist, I had extreme reservations about her. I really felt sorry for her. Robin, of course, qualifies every statement with, I'm not saying that you're going to hell, but you're going to hell. Let's talk a little bit about um, our judges' behavior, because uh, occasionally we need to judge the judges. Yes. I'll see you in court. Given that Janice is the world's first supermodel, I take her comments like to heart because she's speaking from experience. So they may be harsh, but they're really valid points. Maybe not the plus size thing, because that's like someone can't control right. how they're built. But or that, or that they were cast on this show with that body, right? It's like you knew who she was. There are no surprises. It's not like she took off her coat and she's a plus size model under there. Like you knew. So it does seem a little disingenuous to act yeah. like she doesn't belong. So uh, who would you have called first for best photos? I would have called Nicole. They all loved her photo the photographers loved her uh maybe there was just something with the personality department which is plays a big factor 
a lot of the time on the show, which I sometimes hate, but I would have called her first because her photo looked really good. I also would have called Nicole, actually. Um, you know, I, I, I love her look. I love that she's like two weeks away from starring in an Aerosmith music video with that, that bleached hair that is sort of curly, sort of like flat. Um, she does, I think, have a great body for swimsuit modeling. Um, like she's someone that I could see being swimsuit, um, Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue like Tyra. Like she's got, um, she's got what what appear to be like healthier curves, yeah, uh, than some of the other girls. And uh, she 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 brings it in the face. She brings it in the eyes. Um, but again, she's also serving body. So I think there's a lot. There's luck going right in her photo. I personally did like Tessa's photo too. Her pose was out of the box. She was also placed in that position by the photographer. So the photographer can't say they don't like the photo when you posed her in it and you took the photo. And looking back, the photo is actually kind of good. She's like making eye contact with the camera. Yeah, she's upside down. She is modeling the swimsuit though. You see the bandeau, you see the strings on the bikini. She's touching her leg, being sexy, which is, I'm assuming what probably JLo wanted. From this photo shoot? Uh, I have to disagree. This is a terrible photo. This does no justice to the swimsuit. It does no justice to her. She she actually has kind of a striking face and I think it's not like it's not really present in the photo because it seems like the look on her face she's so focused on all of the things that she's doing with her body that like her thinking is she's like the gif of the woman doing math the entire time she's in that pose podcasting notably a visual visual medium so just tossing out that reference there it just doesn't it, i think it could it could read as high fashion with a more experienced model to be in a pose like that but again i think you're right like she was posed that way i think it was a terrible choice on the part of the photographer um it just didn't do her any favors i think shannon should have had the worst photo she literally was just sticking her stomach out and had her hand behind her head and was like I'm a model <laughs> but somehow Tessa's ripped to shreds well I mean I, I feel like Tessa may have been brought in as the sacrificial lamb there's always one um what else do we want to say about judging uh we can talk about Douglas's comment about Shannon's looking skin looking like leather <laughs> um I don't know if he said it to her face no he didn't say it to her face he said it no. when they were judging on their own yeah and he did it to the judges um, kind of mean, but I agree. If you want to be a model, you got to be a fresh palette. You can't be tanning. You can't be wearing all the makeup that you can buy. Mm -hmm. So harsh, but makes sense. Shannon does have like major California vibes though. Like she has this giant Julia Roberts mega, mega smile, blinding white teeth against that tan skin. She's got like the very blonde hair. And, and also that kind of like all American girl vibe that that comes out of like her very sweet personality. So I think there's something compelling about her in, in this episode. I, I agree she, she, she's near the bottom in terms of her performance. I don't think her face looks like leather. <laughs> I, I think that she, she has a tan glow. She, yes, a faux glow because she's from Illinois, Yeah, Charlie. So there's no, she can't be tanning out all year round there. In fact, and it is the dead of winter yes. when this is being filmed. So, so are you using a lotion or are we laying in the bed, Shannon? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Bo doesn't really seem to have much to offer as a judge. Um, he definitely feels like he's, um, he's just there to make sure Tyra doesn't fuck this up for the magazine uh, and choose choose a terrible model so uh i i he you know we we know that behind the scenes it is not just tyra's decision it's definitely at this point about who's going home that there there are producers who are thinking about what's going to make good tv there's the sponsors who are thinking about who they want to represent the product and then there's the head of the magazine that's going to host the shoot and all of those people have a vested interest in who moves forward and who gets eliminated so it's always going to be a balance between like what is making good television what might be a surprising elimination and uh, who, who this group of people is really rooting for to come through the end and win. Um, we know that the show also has to create narratives for each girl. Uh, so they have arcs, they have character development. We know, uh, we know a lot about Elise already. We know a lot about Robin. We learn a little bit about Adrian in this episode. So uh, the show needs to be able to have space to add to those things. Giselle is someone who took up a lot of space in this episode. She had a lot to say. And in fact, uh, many times I thought she was the narrator of the series because she had so much to say about what was going on. So, you know, she's someone that like, I worry a little bit we might not see a lot of because we're getting so much here that there won't be much development left. But uh, I also really like her as a contestant on this season. Yeah, I think she's great. I think she makes good television from what we see in the first 30 minutes, probably, of what is good commentary on the show. Yeah. Um, also, like, who is Marie Claire in 2003? I didn't know about her. Like, was Tyra just like, let me get the most commercial magazine that's out there right now and see if they want to be on the show? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, Project Runway also used Marie Claire as a sponsor uh, of their prize. And uh, Nina Garcia was employed by Marie Claire for a while. Yes. During her time as a judge on that show. So um, I agree, like you, I'm not super familiar. It, it seems like there's Vogue and Vogue is like the very top. And then under that, we might have like an L. I guess that's the, the tier that Marie Claire is at as well, it, it feels like. Although, uh, like is Marie- I would be like Vogue, L and Harper's Bazaar are the Holy Trinity, okay. Marie Claire, right. and Lifestyle, somewhere around there probably too. In style. In style, yeah, yeah. <laughs> country living. <laughs> town and country. Town and country, that's what I was looking for, town and country. Okay, so w- one thing we want to do on this podcast is we want to hold this series accountable for things that it knew at the time were not okay and things that we now feel are definitely not okay in retrospect so we have a segment that we're calling the cringe of the week Ew, gross and uh that is something that we hope everyone in this show deeply regrets happening uh so what is the cringe of the week this week uh, i'm gonna have to go with shannon telling about her dream man because she's a virgin she's saving herself for marriage and then out of nowhere out of her one of three suitcases she pulls out this magazine spread featuring her dream man, Mr. Brad Pinkert, and points out that his favorite book is the Bible, and then proceeds to hang out, hang up his entire spread all over her walls. Mm -hmm. I did that when I was probably also watching the show, because I was probably, I think I was like 12 or 13 when I was watching the show. Uh, Not only, I mean, he has big Tim Tebow energy, uh, not just because the Bible is his favorite book, but he actually looks a little bit like Tim Tebow, which is wild. Yeah, because he's like, 
like all American yeah. corn fed mm-hmm. boy. Uh, so yeah, so Shannon has basically done the equivalent of placing a classified ad seeking Brad by being on this national television show and declaring her attraction to him. So maybe they get together. I don't know. We'll have to do some Googling. Uh, maybe it worked. Could be the most brazen. Uh, here's my number. Call me maybe uh, in the history of television. I mean, she shot her shot. Do it. At, at 18. So props to her, I guess. It, but it, I'd never do it that. It does feel very 18 year. Well, it actually feels very 15 year old to do that. So it is surprising <laughs> that an 18 year old woman uh, made these choices. I would have died if they would have put like his like aim handle on it and was like, look at his aim handle. It would have been like Brad for Jesus, 96. And what's his away message? Uh, oh my God. Through God, all things are possible, whatever <laughs> that quote is. Yeah, that sounds good. Well, that brings us to the end of our conversation for this week. Uh, We'll be back next week talking about episode two of Cycle One, where the drama will be twice as intense. Yeah, there's some serious cuts probably. Yeah, we saw in the preview, there's people crying. Uh, So can't wait to dive into that. (laughs) Uh, Giovanni, this was really fun. Thanks for spending some time with me talking about some really wild shit from 2003. Thanks for having me, Charlie. It was a pleasure. All right, I'll see you next week. See you next week.